0: It's that feeling that, however imperfect, I am perfect right in this moment.
1: Do you ever wonder? Do I have what it
0: takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to live an extraordinary
2: life? Or is that only for people with exceptional beauty, brains, or talent? I know you are extraordinary. But when I
0: look at me in the mirror, well... Ordinary.
2: Ordinary. Ordinary.
0: Ordinary is all I see.
1: Certainly, life has to be more extraordinary than what I've experienced so far. We all feel like this sometimes, but we don't have to. If you believe that your life and everyone's life can be more connected, more inspired, more fulfilling, then you're in the right place. Welcome to this Extraordinary Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Monroe, and together... We're going to discover life is... Extraordinary. 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 Do little things really make
0: that big of a difference? For me, being extraordinary extraordinary. Extraordinary.
2: extraordinary... extraordinary. ...is
1: more of a choice.
2: There is something truly remarkable about that. Are you looking for a place where people are more interested in who you are? Who you are. Who you are. Put in the extra in the ordinary. That's what extraordinary is all about.
1: I want to live an extraordinary life. How about you? Hey there, can you believe it? We're already in episode six of This Extraordinary Life. It is amazing how quickly the weeks pass anymore. Oh, we've got a couple of treats in store for you today. Our guest for the main event is Nilafer Merchant, who authored one of my favorite books, The Power of Onliness. And I know for many of you, it's your favorite book, too, because you've sent me pictures of the book on the beach with you, or you've sent me quotes from the book. So, Nilifer and I, we had this goal to have, to share an authentic conversation, to get beyond the near and get to the real. I think we did that. However, you are the ultimate judge of the authenticity of our conversation. What I can tell you is that every conversation I have with Nilifer touches something deep in me and leaves me thinking, reflecting, and digging deeper. I hope you enjoy this one. Well, it is a pure joy and delight for me to welcome Nilifer. To this extraordinary life podcast for the first time, but it's not the first time Nilifer and I've been together in a podcast. So, Nilifer, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Oh, you know, it's a joy. Even before I ask the gratitude question, I'm going to ask a question. Okay, you and I shared a text this morning about this. We have a desire that we want this to be a real, authentic conversation. So, Nilifer, how are you doing today? Well, we started this conversation before we pressed
0: record to say I was really tired, and I have been because it's been tough living in California with the air quality and stuff, on top of the racial pandemic, on top of COVID pandemic, and it's been like my adrenal gland's a little tapped out. But then you read me something that somebody had written, and all my energy level just went like you could see the little battery charge go.
1: I watched it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. I'm doing good now. You're welcome. And this is. Yeah, right before we hit record, Nilifer asked, is there something specific you want to discuss? I'm like, no, I just want to have this real conversation and this connection that Nilifer and I have been blessed to share before. So Nilifer, what is something that you're grateful for, fresh gratitude in this moment we're connecting today?
0: I am grateful for the opportunity to speak my own truth into the world, right? That I could say to you, I'm so tired. And here's all the different reasons I'm tired. And you could, instead of saying, let me fix it for you or all that, you were like, it's totally okay to be tired. And I mean, I feel like, you know, there's that internet meme of, I'm this many days old when I learned X. But I feel that way about being present to my own state of state, to be present to it, to bring it to my relationships, to... Trust that someone else will honor it, you know, sort of take that risk in the relationship. And so regardless now, different work situations where I might have shown up more quote unquote professionally, I'm able to show up more just wherever I am because that is fine and it is professional. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity with you and for that constant, that skill of knowing that that's a way to be in the world. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. I hope something we are discovering, learning in these times we're in is that our being, our ways of being matter more than what we're doing. And it influences how we're doing what we're doing. But I think so many times we've just kind of focused on doing at the expense of being.
0: Yeah, right. And I did a program a couple of years back. It's been probably like 10 years now. But they had a really nice way of describing a state of being, and they said it was your physical self, your intellectual self, your emotional self, and your spiritual self, and that you live in this quadrinity was their language. And I think most of us sort of believe that our value, air quotes, needed for that comes from our intellectual self. And so we show up with this one side, which is a beautiful side of us. Don't get me wrong. I love my intellectual side. But the other parts we almost suppress and we suppress what our body's saying to us. And so we sit in chairs all day long and we suppress our own emotions and our own fatigue or whatever that is that's going on in our lives, right? The sadness that all of us collectively feel by having 200,000 of our own fellow citizens die at a time like this, there's a sadness to that emotional side. And then the spiritual side, which is what is our sense of connection to each other and to the world and knowing how to be in community? That's its own thing. And so understanding the fullness, which is why I use that word, the fullness of all those aspects and being able to show up that way, most of us don't even understand what that looks
1: like. So for you've written this book, The Power of Onliness," and I don't know how little or much we'll talk about that. I just want to ask, use that to frame this question. Where has your onlyness journey led you lately? Such a good question. So I got asked relatively recently,
0: like within the last year, to do a talk to a university. And the way this particular university structures this talk, so as an outside guest lecturer, they actually choose someone that they can build curriculum around Hmm. so that it can inform what they teach in addition to having that sort of singular event of somebody coming on campus. And so they had asked me, and then they would build curriculum around it, and then around onlyness, and then have me come speak. And because they were showing up to it, I was like, well, I better show up to it too. But they had sort of, sort of as an aside almost was, hey, you know, it's a hundred year anniversary of American suffrage as we celebrate it from 1920 to now. Would you be willing to integrate that into your talk? And that didn't seem especially hard because the vote is all about voice and belonging, which is what onlyness is about. So I was like, sure, I can totally do that. You know, of course, by the way, sometimes you say yes, because you're like, I'd like to, I'm sort of curious about that, sure. And not that I'm trying to be, you know, like ostentatious about everything or like, I don't take it for granted, but then I decided to do the work of researching it more because I didn't want to be like one of those lightweights. And I learned a lot of things I didn't know. But one of the things that really was interesting to me was to study this vote and this particular moment in history, American history, and to notice that I wanted to view it through the lens of power. That was my first draft of the essay. Second draft was about freedom. Third draft was about liberty. It took me to fourth draft to realize that it was about onlyness. Mm-hmm. And I am amused. I am amused, right, period. And then I noticed that I try so hard to make onlyness a subset. Like I am below this. This is how power works and onlyness is a component of power, whatever. And only when I was completely done... I was like, oh my God, onlyness is its own idea. <laughs> its own idea that has its own, I called it a dome. It has its own biosphere. Mm. And I understood it so much richer because I went around the barn on power and I went around the barn on freedom and I went around the barn on liberty. And then I came back to it and I was like, okay, Nilifer, what is it only you know? So it's so funny. It's, it's like so meta. And I go, oh my God, I know something. <laughs> And then I ended up writing it and it turned out to be just this profound lesson in how much I can walk away from my own idea and how much everyone does it. So it's very ironic to me that, of course, I'm teaching people. That's what I'm trying to teach people is how to not to walk away from themselves. And what had I just done once again? So it was a, a beautiful experience for me because I think this time this one w- might stick more because it was about a year long mm. process for me to go around those barns and then come fully back.
1: Okay, so, so that was a long story. <laughs> no, no, it's a beautiful story. And with that, I want to ask you something because you've also you pointed me to a couple of places to read some of your freshest thoughts. Mm. And one of those was from your Substack post where you really had to process this with someone else mm. to even get there, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The real joy of Community is that when you have people, well, it works both ways. So, if you have people who are trying to oppress you, you will become smaller because that is part of how belonging also works. And then there are times when you can become more fully alive because of who is near you. And the the way I've written it more eloquently in the past is uh, we become more of ourselves as we belong. And that beautiful circle of community. And so, with this editor I've been lucky enough to work with now for most of 2020, we actually are really learning who each other are to each other. We weren't sure if this work that I was doing for a Mount Mary talk was linked to the column. So I'd even been sort of sensitive about like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to take advantage of your editorial time or anything. Do I want me to pay you? Like, what are other things that you, you know, just so I wasn't being abusive for our relationship? And he goes, no, no, I'll totally be your first reader. And so I'd written a sort of 2,000 words, first 2,000 words. And then I had eight questions in the back, which were one of the questions was trying to define power, freedom, liberty, or can I assume that they mean different things to different people and just assume that? Another question was, do I need to tell my own personal vignette as to how this relates to my sort of insight, because it's a little painful to tell and I'm not sure I really need to tell it, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to be my first reader. And he basically, this is this is what mostly what he does for me now that I have realized four months later, this is what he does. He kind of hands me back whatever question I've handed him. And he goes, yep, that's the question. And he just hands it right back to me He says, yep, do the harder work. And I've, I've come to just, now I can hear him in my head and go, okay, do the harder work the first time. But he's been a real joy. And so we are actually learning how to be there for each other. It's been mm-hmm. a real joy. I get to become more of myself because he's enabling me to be that way.
1: There are two thoughts there that I'm So I'm pausing a moment to see which one to follow first, Nilifer. I want to pull a quote that was from, I believe, the Substack article, questions, which also came from the keynote address you're talking Mm about. Mm -hmm. Questions frame and shape a conversation, inform what possibilities are even considered, and so direct our attention to what comes next. Ask a limiting question, and everyone's attention is directed to limited ideas. Binary questions box us into false dichotomies, yet ask a generative question and the possibilities open up wide. Questions in that way can direct destiny. Hmm. Let's talk about questions a moment. And you were just talking about questions that you were asking and how questions direct destiny. Yeah. Where do we go from here
0: as a question? right, where do we go from here is a question that says, where do we want to go from here? Like it explores it. Whereas I could say, how are you going to vote is a different conversation. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. As we stay in 40 some days away from an election, US election. And just that might be one thing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg had done a beautiful job of reshaping a Supreme Court kind of decisions by the questions and frameworks she used. And she said, shouldn't a man be able to stay home and take care of his mother. I think it was his mother, right? It was his mother's wife. But the one case that sort of got gender equality on the books was not done, quote unquote, for a woman. It was done gender neutral because the issue is obviously gender neutral in, in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mind. And so questions end up directing a destiny. Can I tell you, Kevin, I didn't know I thought that about questions until I wrote that. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it. And in fact, just to talk about belonging and community again and tie it all back up just so people hear my own process and, and how small it can seem so they might be able to spot it in their own life. I had written something about questions are really important or something I'm sure I'd written. And then I had done in one line, they're like that box that a toddler plays with where the triangle shape, 3D shape goes in the triangle thing. And then I had left that metaphor and gone on to something else. And I didn't know where I was going to go to go from that 2,000 words for first pass to later. And I'd asked a really close friend of mine to come and just sit with me. She had, and she said, can I come sit with you? And so we sat in two separate couches far away from each other. And she said, okay, where can I add most value? And I said, actually, just tell me what really lit up inside you. Because if you tell me what lit up inside you, I think I might be able to know how to use that lamppost. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she had really been drawn to that visual because all of us sort of know that wooden box. You know, we played with it when we were kids, and then we've watched our kids or grandkids play with it. And she said, "I was so struck by that." And she goes, "As soon as I saw the box, I saw also how we then start to shove things inside the box." And she goes, "And then as soon as we have another box, we have a different set of shapes that fits." So she goes, "It's like the metaphor really plays." But I'd written one line on it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote that down and that ended up becoming the defining piece for the entire essay Mm. was taking apart that construct in my own head and going, what is the box part of it? So I hadn't written what you just read aloud and quoted back to me. I hadn't written that section yet. I wrote it in response to the girlfriend saying to me, this is the part that sparked for her. And that let me go deeper into that place. And so the people we let near us, that's the lesson I hope we can all walk away with is who do we let near us when we're in that development phase, which by the way, we're always in a development phase. But how do we have that inner circle, know us, see us, witness us into being?
1: Okay. There was another line. And I think I picked this up out of the Substack article. Naming that inner circle, who is that for you? Can you name those people with whom you can share a struggle and they can help you orient yourself back to your own center? Mm -hmm. That's a powerful statement and a question, right? Not that they orient you to their center, not that they impose something on you, but there's this such belonging and such knowing That they just are there for you and help orient you back to your best self. Because we wander away from ourselves. I mean, as I've been testifying to
0: throughout this conversation, we wander away from ourselves on a regular basis. We all do it. And in some ways, it's a good thing because we're willing to explore newness. So wandering away from ourselves is fine. It's do we know our way back? Hmm.
1: Say more about that wandering away from ourselves is fine do we know our way back
0: yeah you know i do a lot of backpacking well this summer not as much but normally i go out in the back country and there's something about once you're at a lake you kind of have a sense of like you know geography and stuff and then you're kind of around the lake but then once you go out in the back country and it's not well marked Mm. some days you want to do that you want to go up a side of a hill And you say oh today's day hike is going to be up that side of the hill and we don't know exactly how we're going to get up there and that's part of the journey that's part of the adventure like that's how you're going to go see something new and develop something about yourself and all that that's good that's like Mm -hmm. we don't want to be stuck where we always are and then the question is do we know oh gosh if we lose sight of the lake do we know our way back to the lake kind of you know the metaphor and so in our own development phase As we're trying on new identities, because, Diane, we are all multiplicities, as we try on new identities and grow, then do we know how to kind of come back to ourselves and know what has always been true so that it fits into a through line of our own
1: life? So, Niloufar, I'm going to do something that I totally wasn't prepared to do, but it just stays on my desk now. Are you familiar with this book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse?
0: You know, you had shared this picture online and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get that, but I hadn't gotten it yet. So it's not yet on my desk, but I bet it will be one of these days soon.
1: So this is a beautiful, I tell people, I'm reading this deep philosophical treatise. A lot of people call it a children's book, but it's a deep philosophical treatise. What you just said stirred me to this. Mm -hmm. I'll show you the picture. Okay. I think everyone is just trying to get home. Them all home. We're just trying to get home, and home is our truest self, our best self. We're just trying to get home.
0: But we also want to wander. We want to wander. And where home is grows. So this beautiful part about knowing how to wander and pick up newness to ourselves and grow and develop, but then come back home. Mm. And home is ever growing. That is the gift. And that's why we need to be much more selective about who we put in our lives. That line that you read to me, I might even have you reread it because it's, mm. yeah, it's okay. choosing the... Yeah, because it's going back to how do you know who those people are? And I can share some backstory if
1: you want to. The line I just read from yours?
0: Yeah, the Substack one.
1: Yeah. Let's see. I had several things here. Let me... Let me. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it was the friends who remind you how to... Yeah. Who remind you
1: who you are. Naming that inner circle, I believe, was the title of mm-hmm. the Substack. And who is that for you? Can you name those people with whom you can share a struggle and they can help you orient yourself back to your own center?
0: So I want to share a story about why I wrote that sentence. Okay. When I had published Power of Onlyness, my publisher and I disagreed about the book, towards after they had already bought it. But before it went into market, we disagreed about it. And to the point where I offered to buy the book back, we disagreed. And I could tell that they were going to try to position it like a personal self-help book, which is not, it's, that's not what the book is. It is about the future of work that is collaborative and co-creative and so on. And it is about centering correctly on the source of value creation and then knowing how to build up a distributed network of people who can scale that idea. You can use that inside an organization, but it doesn't have to be organization centric. And they were positioning it more as you can do anything you can do. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, that book already exists, first of all. And second of all, that's not what I'm writing, you know? And so publishing the book was one of the more difficult things I've ever done because my agent wouldn't fight for me and get the book back. And my publisher wouldn't release me, even though I had all the money. So they wouldn't release me from the contract. So now I'm now publishing at odds with my publisher. And trying to communicate my idea and what it really is. By the way, you cannot out market your own book. Like, it's, it's ridiculous what I had to do. So, every day was a, just a terrible feeling because my own material was not being put forward with my through line in it and stuff. And so, I was fighting my, essentially myself, right? It was just a. Pfft. And somebody I went to who I really trust, who's in marketing, et cetera, and I said, you know, I basically need help figuring out how to navigate this sucker. And she said to me, well, that's not what your book is. Your book is all about onlyness. The idea of onlyness is all about you. It is not about the network. It is not about community. It is about you. And I sat there crying by the end of this dinner because first of all, I didn't find her very helpful. And second of all, because I was starting to question myself as to whether or not, didn't I write a book about networks? Didn't I write, isn't this like, and I was so gaslit. I could tell you the name of this person, God bless her soul. I'm sure she doesn't mean badly, but I have learned she's not one of my people. Mm. And I like, just really kindly, like, you can now go to another sphere. You can still exist. You just can't be anywhere close to me. You have to be in another sphere over there that I might see and admire from far, far away. And you might see and admire me from far, far away. But never in a million years will I ever come to count on you to watch after my interests because what you basically did was gaslight me not even believe in my own idea, mm. right? So when I wrote that sentence, I was thinking of her. And every sentence I write, I almost always have like a backstory. It's just like one of those things about like having lived an experience. I'm like, oh, I need to remember to tell people that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that was that, that line when I was basically drawing the distinction about who should you let in your inner circle, I was thinking of that particular vignette. Mm. Why I had let that person in my circle in the first place is beyond me.
1: So you were thinking of it in the reverse, actually.
0: Well, I wrote both. I wrote both positive and negative in that little section. You just pulled the positive part.
1: Right. But what triggered was the negative? Right. We deserve better than this. We do.
0: But by the way, most of us don't know how to ask for it.
1: And that we're going to talk about right after this. We've got something special to share with you. Then we're going to return and we're going to hear how to ask. For it. Nilifer, what a joy to have you here today. We just, right before the little break, we had a cliffhanger moment there with you. How do we ask for it?
0: Hmm. So, you remember I finished telling you a story about this girlfriend who came over on the couch? Mm -hmm. Backstory of her. And so, I met this person about 20 years ago. And first meeting we ever had, she cried because what I was presenting to her, she felt challenged her power and authority. And so I'll never forget that feeling of like, I really don't like you. Like I was in this meeting with this person who's now crying. And I was just like, I really, really don't like you. And that was 20 years ago. We have since worked together and really grown to appreciate each other in the work. We had children around the same age and our children went to like was like a music together program. So like we did that when we were like young parents, you know, and so on. And a few years back, I noticed that we had all these things in common. we were both operational leaders. We both cared about faithfulness. I found that she really valued culture and the set of things I was writing and thinking about. So she often would ask me really smart questions because she was trying to apply those ideas. So we had become friends over time, sort of weird start, become friends over time. And then a couple of years back, I had said to her something like, I would like to be a closer friend. And I totally remember how awkward I felt when I asked her because I sort of felt like I was asking someone out on a date or something. It was just so like, how do you ask someone if they want to be like a closer friend? You know, it just felt like, and I had asked her and she basically turned me down. Oh, I remember kind of slinking away from that conversation. Like, oh, she really doesn't like me. Cause I just finished saying how much I really feel like we have a lot in common and we, I'd like to spend more time with her. And then she basically passed and So I was like, oh, she doesn't feel the same way. Okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You know, kind of like talking around with you. She tells me a year after that, through tears, mind you, that she feels inadequate to be a close friend of mine. How can I possibly be a good witness to you? And I was like, shut up. You already are. Like, why do you think I'm asking you? you know. So then now just this last few weeks, so I said, I could really use some help because I need... Like, I really have to produce this thing. I have like two weeks, blah, blah, blah. And she had said, oh, I'd be happy to help. She comes on the couch. She goes, how can I be of most service? I tell her, you know, tell me what really sparked for you so I can kind of come back to it. Totally helpful. Two days later, I tell her how that epiphany shaped up. Then I found the next thousand words. I felt like it was really coming together. I had it. And I was just giving her credit. And she goes, just so you know, the entire time I was on your couch, I was telling myself, it's okay. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. And she's telling me this afterwards. And I'm laughing and I'm like, you'd think that this many years later, this would not be the conversation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So she is my absolute bestie. Mm. I have quite a few people who are just in that like unbelievably close sphere. She's the one who gives me the most challenge because she questions herself so much. And I now just have come to like look at her, like I just kind of look at her like, (laughs) who are you listening to? You know? And I love her for being so real with me now that she can just say that and we've gotten through that. And it felt like, you know how when you've maybe gone on a coffee date with someone and then you might want to go on a more serious date with someone. That's what it felt like when I first asked her if she'd want to be like a, a deeper friend with me. And then when she said no, I was like, okay, all right. You know, and so I think that awkwardness is something we have to actually go through to be like, are you one of my people? And we will know, right? It's the mole, the fox. Uh, we will know who our people are over time. And as we show up, we get to be that real with each other. And I, I love it that, you know, whenever she has that voice of insecurity, I just kind of listen to her like, that's not who we are, right? And so I get to remind her too of who she is.
1: Okay. So that leads me to the conversation you and I had before we started that recording, belonging. I love these lines. when we belong, we become more of ourselves. And that belonging, another way you said that, let me, yeah, more of our true authentic self shows up when we belong. Yeah. What does that feel like? What does belonging feel like for you, Nilifer?
0: What does belonging feel like for me? You know, it's uh, it's like when you are, in a drop-top convertible on the perfect temperature day of like 75 degrees outside. And the the song that you love to sing along to comes on the radio. And all of a sudden, it's the rays of sunshine. And you might be singing like one of my favorite songs to sing along to is Brown Eyed Girl, Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl. As you might imagine, I might like that song. And you can always get me dancing, by the way. If you play that song, I will always go to the dance floor. So there's a little side uh, comment. And it's like that it's perfection and it's flow. It's that feeling you have when you're in the drop-top convertible and you, everyone sort of knows what that feeling is, right? Yeah, that's that's what belonging is. And it's where you can be, you're singing off key and no one's going to notice. Yeah, because you're so full of joy and it doesn't matter that you're singing off key if that's who you are. So I, I would call it, if I had to find language for it rather than emotion for it, it's that feeling that however imperfect. I am perfect right in this moment.
1: However imperfect I am, right now I'm perfect in this moment. Belonging. That's a beautiful definition.
0: Well, and you and I, you know, from the very first moment you've you, we've met, because we have met in relatively recent times, we knew of each other for quite some time before we actually met. And then we met and it was maybe like the first couple of weeks that the shutdown had happened with the shelter in place thing. And you and I were so real with each other and so raw with each other. And to me, it's when I can be that completely like, whatever is happening is happening. And the other person says, it's totally safe for you to be just as you are, right? Because you're perfectly imperfect just as you are.
1: So what does belonging allow us? Two questions. I'll ask, who does belonging allow us to become? And then what does belonging allow us to do? I started to ask the do question. <laughs> Who does belonging allow you to become, Nilofer?
0: When you belong, you get to be your fullest self. And you know, when I said earlier, you get to bring your intellectual self surely, but also your physical self, your emotional self, your spiritual self. You get to be fully alive. And there's a, there's a Benedictine line about the glory of God as a human being fully alive. And I know a lot of people don't like the notion of God, but you could almost edit it and say glory is the human being fully alive. And then you could edit a little more if you're looking at it from the lens that I do, which is glory is the human being fully alive at work. And I like the play of at work because it shows this motion of progress is always going on. And then we're also doing it in this place that we call work, this vocational
1: work. And then what does being allow you to do, or what does belonging allow you to do that fitting in limits or prevents?
0: Yeah, so I say there's two forms of belonging, and again, I'm simplifying it because it is more a spectrum, but there's belonging that involves a compromise, and that is really assimilation or subjugation, might be another word for it. But it's the best example is, in Star Wars, you're the one of the stormtroopers, or in Star Trek, you're part of the Borg. So depending on which sci-fi <laughs> story you like better, if you like either one of those two. and Which means that you belong, but in a way that is, you are indistinguishable from a group. Mm-hmm. You're a subset of the group. The group has primary identity. When you can belong without compromise, which is the kind of belonging you and I are talking about, it lets you actually have the highest impact work. And we've all belonged to teams like this. So look at that. I even use the the language. I didn't mean to do that little pun, but we've all belonged to teams like this where it's not just a process of like Kevin and Nilifer add their bit, right? One plus one equals two. It's Kevin makes Nilifer go to like a 1.5 and nilifer makes Kevin do a 1.5. And so the two combined. And they're not just addition, they're multiplication or they're, you know, so there's like a, there's a factoring level that happens where we bring something more than even Kevin or Nillifer individually knew they had. And so this is one of the things I often describe as culture, culture being the exponential factor, because it's the context that lets each of the individual players have this kind of higher impact. I call it exponential because we each have whatever talent we have and we each have whatever ideas we have. But when those get brought into collision with each other and in community with each other, they can make each other either lower than, like tear each other down. We've all been in those teams where it's like, it's one minus one almost, right? We're competing against each other for what we can add. Then there's the ones where we're just able to bring whatever each of us has. And then the kind of teams where each of us, because we're in the same space doing this work together we bring out something in each other that is more than I can do by myself. And then it's not three plus three, it's three times three. And we get to start to do something much bigger because we're together. And that is, I call impact, you could call it many things, but it's that kind of creative combustion kind of energy that we get to make together.
1: Okay, as I was listening to you there, I was taken back to one of the articles that you've written recently. Claiming one's voice is not done alone. Mm. So let me read this because I see it connecting to what you just said. Here's the thing none of us show up with fully formed ideas or our own, our fully formed voice. Our voice and ideas are developed in context. It's when someone asks us a question that we now know what we believe. It's when someone asks how your idea relates to another that you get more specific about your own. Voice is not a one-way street of you doing your thing all by yourself in spite of others and all by yourself. No, it's you screaming in the wilderness. If you're putting your voice If you're putting your ideas into a safe space, it has a chance to be built on, shaped, explored until it becomes viable. But if we put our ideas into unsafe spaces, we'll do it haltingly or so rigidly that it can't be molded and shaped to become more viable. Our surroundings matter. What else would you like to add to those words you wrote, Nellifert? Yeah, I got
0: a lot of feedback on that particular piece. So what I'm enjoying about the Substack is people are really loving it. And you know, I'm getting a lot of private notes saying, oh my gosh, I understand this in a way I never understood before. And for me, that piece happened because somebody I was working with, actually doing a consultation with, because I do private coaching with people and helping them kind of figure out their ownliness, And they wrote me saying, well, how do I have my own voice in spite of all the other people. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not in spite of, it's because of. And so quite often we think about it as being, most of us don't really think about how ideas become real. We have a conception that we're sold about, it's your brilliance. And then some other people execute that brilliance. But if you actually watch any team, and just because I've been with so many teams and watched it, every idea shows up as a nascent, fledgling idea. And then it is grown and shaped until it becomes viable. And then it's almost like everyone starts to hold on to it and they pull it into the future. That's how I've sort of characterized it over time.
1: Mm.
0: So the safety of that early setting
1: of where it's birthed is incredibly important. I I was going to say, that doesn't happen everywhere. Because that nascent idea could just as easily be squelched or squashed.
0: And we've all been in those rooms, right? And so, in fact, one of the first questions I ever got asked when I was on the road with the book, somebody had stood up and said they had just finished helping their husband, it's a Silicon Valley story, classic Silicon Valley story, where somebody had just finished helping their husband get their music on a shuttle to Mars. And then they were waiting for their husband to turn around and help them with their big idea. And I remember because the woman was wearing a NASA shirt just like stuck in my head, the story. She was waiting for him to come around and be like, well, what can I do or say or cajole or whatever him? And I'll never forget because I was like, why are you waiting for him? And I go, so can you share your idea? And I actually had her do it live. I go, would you be willing? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, anybody else in this room want to help her with that idea? And she had a few hands really seriously show up. And then it turns out some of those were actually quite instrumental. And what I was trying to show her was sometimes we look to the wrong people like our spouse, our immediate, whoever's right near us, as the people who need to give us that kind of feedback. And that spouses are lovely and they play particular roles, but they don't have to play every role. And so being careful about who your people are lets you craft community, craft the setting into which those ideas come to bear. And so if you're doing, for example, you and I are both doing future of work kind of stuff, then you and I can probably be safe places to explore this. There are other people who are doing future of work kind of stuff, but they're more interested in the AI side of it. Meaning there's a group of people who are focused on how do we not automate away jobs? And what they're mostly trying to say is journalists could easily be automated if all they're doing is reporting without context. That's a super automatable job. If all you're doing is repeating what the president says without commenting on the fact that he has lied most of his administration, then you're not adding much value into it. You're just simply repeating. That's fine. AI can do that. And there's a group of people who says, well, if we lose that working class group of people, we've lost some creativity in the system. I am not making that argument, right? And neither are you. You and I are actually arguing that all 100% of the workforce, janitors, admin, sales clerk, Every single person has value to offer, and there is an inherent worth in that capacity that we need to tap. So, you and I have found each other, so I'm more likely to kind of come to you with those set of ideas. Knowing the distinction between the AI person and you lets me make a distinction about which one is safe. Because if they're not arguing for all the group, we're gonna have like this feeling like we're not really having the same conversation, right? So, it's starting to go, okay, what is it you care about? ah, okay, now we're going to start, and so then you can start to craft. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, Nelifer, where do you want to land this plane of a conversation you and I Mm. have shared as our time is coming to a close? Where
0: do we? Hmm. You just asked such an important question. I, I answered it in the vignette, but would you like me to answer it from a construct point of view? Sure. We often think about who our people are in a couple different ways. So we might think who our people are. Like if I'm a woman entrepreneur, I might think other women entrepreneurs are my people because then it's defined by the gender both of us share. We might think about it as, oh, like here's where I live. So Silicon Valley people might be my people and try to define myself by that. And then there's this element that I had essentially pointed to in the vignette, but I haven't named, which is what is it that you care about that I also care about? which I can name values as being the, the characterization. So vertical is the way I characterize what we're born into. So gender is a vertical identity. Vocational identity, like I live in Silicon Valley and I work in tech, is a vocational identity. And then values identity is to get clearer about what do we each care about. And I have defined onlyness as this combination of what you were born into, your history and experience, which to me represents the vocational and vertical as well as your hopes and visions for the world which in my mind is translates to values and i say onlyness is this combination of your history and experience as well as your visions and hopes because on that spot only you stand you can figure out what you care about and want to work on so that you can then find the other people who want to do the same and what i'm doing in that language so behind it right the framework is you can define your identity however you want to now that is Your work, what matters to you is something that you don't just pick up like a puzzle piece. You define for yourself that is work to be done. But once you know that, you also can be like, Kevin's one of my people, right? And you start to build community around that. And then you start to be able to have bigger and bigger ideas together because you're doing the necessary work, which is to create the right setting into which those ideas can grow. So I thought that framework might be helpful for all of us who are trying to then decode it ourselves.
1: It is. So for people on the quest to find your people so you can do your best work and be your best self, what's your parting thought to them?
0: Mm. You know, you started the conversation with this quote, as we belong, we become more of ourselves. As we become more of ourselves, we can also know to whom we belong. And so I just want to remind us that the more we are okay loving and celebrating ourselves as we are, as imperfect as we are. And then we can be in community in this very different and real way. We end up crafting, you know, the settings where we're safe and the place in which those ideas can grow and become. So it's this wonderful loop, like an infinity loop. That's what, I, Yeah. Which we can picture, which is the more we speak our own truth and understand our own truth and are in concert with that truth. We get to find other people with whom we're in harmony, resonance. We get to build things. Uh, So certainly I want to kind of come back to that because I feel like now we've had two really rich conversations around that topic, but I feel like I'm becoming more of who I am as I talk with you.
1: As am I, Nilofer. I'm so grateful to have you in my life, to have you as a friend. Thank you for being here today for us. You know, being able to talk honestly about being tired, about the weariness that the world feels, right? None of us were prepared for this enduring period that we're in. For people that want to follow up with you, where do we direct them to? How do they My favorite
0: work that I've ever done to date, which is really saying something, is on this beautiful Substack that I'm doing with my colleague Paul Smolera. And it's At work.substack.com. And Kevin, we can link to it. It's mostly free. So we're trying to keep the bar accessible. And then for those people who are in a financial position to support us, we certainly welcome that. But the main thing is, we're on a journey to create a community of people who will actually change how we work so we can all be fully alive and would love to have people join us there.
1: And we'll put that in the show notes so you can find it. Nilifer, again, thank you. What a joy. Thank you, Kevin. As I said at the beginning, conversations with Nilifer get me thinking. I'm excited to share this community spotlight conversation with you from this Extraordinary Life community. Over the last couple of weeks, I've reflected on the exchange that led to this conversation with Linda Simpson. As a matter of fact, I shared Linda's WhatsApp message with Nilifer before Nillafer and I started our conversation. That led me to invite Linda to join us here. Check this out. Hey, in this week's segment, I am thrilled to welcome Linda Simpson to talk a little bit. Linda, say hello. Hello, Kevin. I'm so happy
2: to be here. Yeah, and where do you live, Linda? I am in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.
1: Well, yeah. Well, what a beautiful part of the world, and it's beautiful there right now.
2: It is. We're having a pretty nice fall, although I think it's only day 2 of fall, but <laughs> And I think you even visited
1: here a couple of years I have. ago. I have. I've been there twice and love the city. Well, Linda, there's something, there's a communication we've shared, we've shared in a small group, just in this past week. And I really want to talk about that with you a few minutes. So I posted a video earlier this week where, where I posted this reflection. I was preparing for a conversation with Nilifer Merchant and I had read where Nilifer said, when we belong we become more of ourselves. And that triggered a thought in my mind. What happens when we don't belong? And that's when we're fitting in. When we fit in, we become less of ourselves, often because we've silenced or stifled those parts of ourselves that weren't welcomed by the group. So Linda, when you saw that video, you posted that that created an aha moment for you. And that's what I want to unpack. What was that aha moment? Thank you,
2: Kevin. That aha moment was when you suggested that when we feel we belong, we become more of ourselves. And on the flip side, when we force ourselves to fit in, we are less ourselves. And it was with that statement that it really reminded me of a toxic environment that i worked in for a number of years where it was very much emphasized that we fit in and over the years of having to fit in i felt myself becoming burdened and angry and and a little you know bitter and it started to bleed into my personal life and i couldn't see it for myself because i was in the middle of it but you know now that I've been away from it for a certain amount of time and I'm in this environment, this extraordinary life where we don't even talk about it specifically, but the feeling of belonging and acceptance Mm -hmm. and no judgment, I feel those layers of anger being stripped away from me. And I feel like, is this, more myself. Like for so many years, I just had these conflicting feelings that something wasn't right. And for the longest time, I thought it was because I wasn't able to fit in and there was something wrong with me. Mm. But it's the reverse. I couldn't fit in because I wanted to be more of myself. Like that weed or flower that
1: grows in the crack of the cement. You know, it's what Brene Brown, I know you're a fan of Brene's, talks about that armoring up. But you were always armoring up. And that that kept the real you from coming out. And so what you said in your post was how recently you've begun to shed those protective layers. And I love this when you, and try another emotion besides anger. Yeah. Say more about that, if you will.
2: I don't have to show up every day with that armor on. I don't have to go any place where I'm ready to fight for what I think is right. Hmm. And what I've started wondering now is this what belonging feels like.
1: Linda, when I read that when I read those words and the way you had written them the for is this what belonging and community feels like. When I read those words, I teared up. Hmm. Because it wasn't, is this what it is? Is this what it feels like? And so you have found a feeling that comes from belonging, which goes back to that, what Nilifer said, when we belong, we become more of our true self.
2: Yeah. It's just amazing how those words resonated with me. Because this in-between place, I feel like I've been in for a while. It's not because I've lost something that I'm trying to get back. It's because I'm gaining something and I'm shedding all that old skin, so to speak, and I'm gaining myself and I'm so excited.
1: And I'm so excited for you. I'm excited and we were in a group conversation on Tuesday of this week where other people started talking about noticing this. I know it made you really uncomfortable, but there were other people that were affirming and actually saying, hey, Linda, you show up differently now. You look different. You, know, you look confident. You look comfortable. You smile. It's a beautiful thing. And I just love this. Is this what belonging and community feel like. Yeah, it's amazing. Thanks for sharing your story with it. us. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, thanks for joining, Linda. And as is my experience with every good conversation, there are words, phrases, paragraphs that loop in my heart and in my head after the conversation. In the days after Nilofar and I spoke, I locked in on a phrase from Nilofer that said, when we belong, we become more of our best selves. I actually wrote a post on that. We'll link to it in the show notes here. Here were the big words that connected with me. Belonging leads to becoming. And what do we become? Our best selves. Hey, my hope for you is that you have a place where you experience belonging. And that belonging is allowing you to become more of your best self. If you don't yet have a place where you belong, we invite you to explore this Extraordinary Life community. Becoming is a beautiful thing. We want to see that happen in your life. Hey, you know my door is open. You can email me at kevin at thisextraordinary.life. You can call, text, or WhatsApp me. Plus one, 404-713-0713. What will you do to explore, embrace, and enjoy this extraordinary life today? Remember, who you are and what you do matters. Thanks for being here today.